are back, everybody, for another episode with the Fulfilling Destiny podcast. I'm your host, Jan Marini Packlip, and with me are two guests uh, who have both been dealing with some tough times, and they're here to tell the story about it. How, like, what exactly? That's not my story to tell, and that's why we're here. We're going to have people share their stories, open up the platform of discussion, and remember to treat everybody with compassion because... I wouldn't have known the histories and stories that they've been through if I didn't open up my heart and open up my mind to embrace them in. So this will be a fun time. So introduce yourself starting from, you're on top of me in, in this case. So we'll go with you first. Okay. Um, my name is Amber. And um, I guess I would start my story off by saying that I was institutionalized by a very young age. Um, when I say institutionalized, I mean uh, from boot camps to um, group homes to correctional facilities to homeless shelters, rehabs, um, so behavioral centers. Uh, at the age of 12, I ran away from home. I lived in a home with an abusive father and brother. Uh, so my, my dad was a cop, so I, I did grow up having, I was conflicted because I had this dad who was out there to protect and serve, but um, he was the first one to expose me to drugs and alcohol and violence. And I was at a young age, I was 10 when I first smoked weed and, and drank, you know, for the first time. So mm-hmm. I did grow up having that, um, you know, uh, that lack of respect for men and uh, authority figures at a young age. So I was trying to like, I was always trying to find find out if, it, if the grass was greener on the other side, you know, always trying to mm-hmm. see and find a home that looked like the ones that you watch on TV. Oh, no. Yeah, the, yeah. the, the wishful thinking, the mm-hmm. I want what they have type of mm-hmm. thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get it. Yeah. So um, I, I looked for my mom and I ran away across state. And, um, you know, she had, she happened to be suffering from, um, multiple diagnoses of mental illness Mm -hmm. untreated. So Mm -hmm. she wasn't nothing like I thought she was going to be. And, um, her lack of being able to be emotionally open to Mm -hmm. me or accepting of me, um, hit me hard Yeah, because here I had the dad who wasn't able to be the dad that I needed. And here I had the mom who was unable to be the mom I needed. So um, my behavior, I started acting out and I no longer wanted to impress these two people in my life or show them mm-hmm. that I could do good in school. So um, I started hanging out outside of the house and um, I started running away. Um, as much time as I could spend on the streets, I would spend on the streets. Willingly. Yeah. The only time I came home was I would call it home base. The only time I came back to home base was when things got really, really tough for me on the street and mm-hmm. I, I, could, I needed a bite to eat um, mm-hmm. or I needed to pick up some clothes mm-hmm. or I needed to take a shower. Um, wow, but so then, like very, very minute needs or like just basic needs, but you wouldn't linger. But yeah, then, I- yeah. And then I wouldn't be able to stay long at home base because that would be my dad's house and I, and I wouldn't be able to stay long there. Like the cops would bring me back because, you know, I couldn't be on the streets. I was sure, a minor. Yeah. You're a minor. The cops would always bring me back and I would be silent. I wouldn't tell them what was happening at my, mm. it, there was those secrets that you keep in the family, you know? So I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to, you, you live with these fear, this fear that your parents instill in you, like, and tell you like, hey, you're going to end up taken away, you know, and the family's going to be taken away. You're, I'm going to lose my job. You know, all these, all this mm. fear that's shot into you at a young age. So you don't want to cause any disruption in the chaos that's already going on. You don't want to be the cause of that, right? Mm-hmm. So you just keep those secrets and you learn how to deal with it in different ways. So I just, avoidance was my way. Just don't be there. So I just, I would be living out of boxes at friends' houses until their parents can no longer keep me there because again, they wouldn't want the heat because they were up to no good themselves with drugs and alcohol, party pads. So mm-hmm. when people were noticing that kids were there all day, not going to school and they were catching heat, I would have to bounce. Um, so I did that a lot. 
So by the time I was about 15 or 16, I had already been to three different states. I had already been to nine different high schools. Dang. I couldn't, yeah, I couldn't even catch up. Education was not an option for me. It was pure survival mode at that age. Um, I wanted to eat. I was hungry. I wanted to stay safe. Mm -hmm. um, so I was worried about where I was going to sleep at night, mm -hmm. being cold, being comfortable, and if I could trust you. And most of the times, nine out of 10 times, I couldn't, the trust wouldn't stay too long and I would have to bounce because something would happen to me. Being a girl in those situations, a right. lot of <clears throat> a lot of bad things happened to me out there. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, by the time I was 16. That's like six um, years on the street by then, right? On yeah. and off, right? Yeah, yeah. That's, holy crap, it's a long time. That's awful. Yeah. Yeah, it was, you know, it went by really fast. Like if I think back to my childhood, I feel like it went by super, super fast. And the thing is, it never kind of changed. It kept, it kept, the cycle continued in uh, my, okay. in my okay. early twenties. Mm -hmm. So it was more institutions, um, more trouble, mm -hmm. more behavioral problems, right. more right. survival, more ways to cope but they weren't necessarily the, the best ways to cope, yeah. right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah, so the drugs, alcohol, anything else that could get you to not to be in that headspace of yeah. survival time all the time. Yeah. And I am, um, you know, that lack of respect for men or authority figures didn't help either. I noticed looking back in hindsight, mm -hmm. it didn't help me and with my criminal activity and, and, and not justifying what I did you know, mm -hmm. but I know how that's looking back in hindsight, how that's all intertwined, you know? Yeah. Yeah. But um, one thing I do want to mention is after that, that, that was like a repeat cycle all the way throughout my 20s into my 30s, my early 30s. And then this last time I was incarcerated, something was different. The first thing I noticed, looking back, the first thing I noticed that was different is I didn't get high this last time I was in there. Uh -huh. So I had somewhat of a clear mind. Um, I found out there was some kind of uh, incentive dorm. So mm, there was, okay. they called it the princess dorm, you know? Princess. <laughs> I know that we talked about it the last time, like for our intro meeting. It just sounds so strange to hear in yeah. like the name <laughs> princess dorm. Well, you think about it, like a lot of these, a lot of these um, spaces where when you're locked up, you live in spaces where some of them aren't even walking. So you're just right, kind of like, right. you don't walk to, to go eat or nothing. You get your, you get your food th through your door and you eat, you know, you eat right there. Mm -hmm. But um, so once I found out that you can work your way up to a certain place in that facility that you get nice, comfortable pillows, you get oh. a little mat, you know, you, you get a nice blanket, not the ones that scratch your skin. Oh. Um, you get to go outside and they had volleyball uh, courts. That's a and, real big incentive for someone who needs, not say like instant gratification, but it's like, it's, it's something nice. It's nicer than, especially for you who never had anything for so long. That's, that's a real big incentive. <laughs> Yeah. So I remember being in there and once I got wind of some kind of incentive dorm through another inmate, I hit him up. I was like, well, how do we, how do I get in? You know, what do, what do we have to do to get right. over there? And they're like, you can't get any write-ups. And I was like, crap. For a okay. year? Well, um, I, I don't, no, no, you just couldn't, I don't know. You couldn't get any write-ups and mm -hmm. then you had to apply. So while you were waiting to apply and they, before your name got picked, that's that's what they determine whether or not if you had any write-ups during that waiting period. Oh. So when your name got pulled, by the time my name got pulled and I got interviewed, um, I didn't have any write-ups. Nice. And um, the interview the interview went well, mm -hmm. and they picked a few girls, and I happened to got to get picked, and uh, I went over there. I got moved, and once I got moved there, 
I'm not going to lie. At first, it was a little kind of a manipulation tactic, right? Just to get out of the darkness, right? Right, right. And to get that comfortable incentives, right? Mm -hmm. Do whatever it takes to get out of that hellhole that I was in. Mm -hmm. But then I noticed something different. I was like, wait a minute. The people here are different. Wait, wait, wait. What's up with this? You know? (laughs) Oh, okay, okay. I was like, the staff, they seem, they talk to you like human beings. They're not cursing at you. Mm -hmm. They're not re-traumatizing you Mm -hmm. they're you know like wait a minute and so then I found out that they get trained and they have to interview to to want to work in that dorm in that living environment too for to work with us so I was like these people want to be here they want to work here they want to see people strive to do better they want to be part of the helping hand and so my mind I no longer looked at them as the enemy, I started relaxing a little bit, you know? So the tension was a little bit suppressed, I guess you would mm-hmm. say. Or yeah. Excited. You're and always waiting I- for the, the, what's that one phrase? You're waiting for the other shoe to drop sometimes a little too much. And then you've been like, like quite a little like tense up the rod for so long. Letting go probably it, like a little bit. It has bit to do with trust. Like, yeah, the big trust. It yeah. Must be a little relieving once you finally get all the way there maybe you never really did but just mm-hmm. enough to let them come in right well they interacted with us and treated us like human beings instead of um how i felt before which was like an animal right and so, so my defense kind of went down and i was able to interact with them the same way mm-hmm. and i noticed I started, I was able to start tapping into my leadership skills right there. They started putting me in positions where we were like facilitating self-help groups. It was all peer ran, you know, we ran um, all these groups um, and it was straight programming from the beginning in the morning when you woke up till the end at night, you programmed your entire day. So um, my foundation of this growth mindset that I have today was built while I was locked up this last time. This last and so, time. yeah. And when was so this last time again? Uh, I, got, I was released. Yeah, it was a year. So I went in in 2015. Ooh, and, yeah. and came, yeah, I went in November 3rd, 2015. Came out two weeks shy of a year because my husband was, right, um, right. yeah, he was yeah. murdered. Two, so I got out two weeks prior to my my actual mm-hmm. year sentence yeah sorry about my that. date mm-hmm. so and it's so been even, a while at least so that whole year of establishing a foundation that growth that still that carried on when you when you got out and then starting your education again right slowly yeah we'll see so the, they they get you into this mode of what are you gonna do when you get out so you see a, a counselor you get your paperwork together mm-hmm. you start meeting with your um your re-entry your counselor to re-enter Entry, you know yeah yeah and so one of the things they talk about is like so what do you want to do because if you're gonna not go back if you're not going to recidivize um you got to put something in place of to spend what are you going to do spending your time you know this whole time when you're right. out are you going to work or are you going to go to school and um, I was like, well, if I went to school, what would, what would I do? I was asking them the question. Right. I had no idea. And so uh, during that process of finding out well, a little bit about myself, I knew that I wanted to, I was inspired, like the change in myself. Mm-hmm. Like, no, I want to sit by her. No, she's like a ray of sunshine. And I always looked at myself like a piece of shit. I always looked at myself like a straight piece of shit and for other people to be almost getting in a fight about who's going to sit next to me and I have to calm the situation down and say hey it's cool I'll get another chair you guys because they're saying that I want to sit by Amber because she's like a light of sunshine and referring to me the piece of shit the 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 chick that's garbage you know I mean Mm -hmm. I'm hearing this these narratives from people that are supposed to protect me that say they love me my you know people that I'm surrounded through my whole life since I was younger. And so I believe that. And I had to rewire my thinking. And once that happened in that dorm and, dorm and I was able to do that, I was so inspired and I believed in change that I wanted to see this happen in other people. 
So I was like, well, maybe I can, um, since I had this problem with addiction and I'm, I'm not using anymore, maybe I can start doing that when I get out. You know, maybe I can be a, an addiction counselor. Mm. So wait, wait, quick question. Like, this is just a quick segue. Um, rewiring thinking like that is that that's a, I think, I think it could be like a lifelong journey, especially like you said, thinking yourself as nothing but trash. But then when people start referring to something like I said, more human, more normal, positive, I think that's really amazing. Uh, that's just my segue for that. And then also, it's, um, were you also getting clean oh no you were you didn't come in high so you didn't need to get cleaned cleaned well i remember smoking weed all my whole bag of weed right before i went in the courthouse to get sentenced because (laughs) i wanted to go in high because i was going to do a lot you know i was going to do some time and i was going say saying bye to everybody and saying bye to my daughter saying bye to my family and I remember that day before I went in to see the judge and even on recess, I went back out and got high as heck and went back in and turned myself in. And then the next day oh. I was clean. And from <laughs> that point on, okay. I didn't pick up in there. For some reason, okay. there was other people getting high, but I chose to not get high or not say, hey, let me get some. The oh, okay. I, <laughs> I thought that I thought you went through a program while you were in there. So I didn't know that you went kind of like a, I mean, that, drugs that are last, real. if yeah. we're gonna be if you're a drug addict and you're a hardcore drug addict like me you're gonna get drugs no matter where you're at and right we're not we're gonna get drugs in jail every single day right that's just the truth yeah so we want to get high I, I wasn't just expecting kind of like you know kind of like your last hurrah was to just like just get trashed as much as humanly possible before you go in and yeah. then stay that way, stay clean for the rest of I, I don't know. I think part of it's just a little <laughs> funny to me. It's just like, what? But yeah. I, I mean, I, I wouldn't know that experience because I'm I'm not a drug addict. So I wouldn't yeah, know yeah. or someone who's recovering and currently. So for it's just sure. like, that's funny. Sorry. Yeah. I just had to put that out there. I thought that's yeah, really common, actually. I notice a lot of people usually when they're, you know, once they're about to kiss off their drugs and go to rehab, a lot of people end up coming in their, their day of and they piss dirty and it's it's really expected actually when we do their intake and stuff ah okay yeah in your case well after you did that since it's it was marijuana you got your high you got what you needed did your time you're out and then you're becoming a counselor for recovery yeah so i get out and the funny thing is here's here's the twist right so all this change, okay. right? All this okay. change going on, all this growth, and then boom, tragic hits me right on my way out, right? right. So how is how am I gonna hit how am I gonna handle this? Right. Revert back to my old ways of coping, which was so mm-hmm. easy for and comfortable for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, because I remember getting released, and the first thing that came to mind was um mm, right when you're changing out, you're just like Ooh, 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 ooh. you gotta use the bathroom like 10 times you're just getting so excited you're like whoa, 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 whoa. you know you're like i'm out i'm out and then you get out you get your ride and you you get out and then right i right. remember the excitement went away almost mm-hmm. instantly almost instantly and the first thing i realized when i was on the trolley was like tears running down my face because I was in an environment that I remember. I'm going through this to the same environment. The Nothing same, has changed. Yeah. Nothing yeah, has this, changed. Right. And now my husband's dead. Mm. So I'm going through this whole, the same area that I lived in on the same trolley without my, without my partner, right? Mm-hmm. My, my husband. Mm. And, and in my head, if I was out, because the future was he was going to go to a program for a year in in um, North County, mm-hmm. and I, he was going to utilize the resources, get mm-hmm. his mind right, get his recovery on, on right, um, get a vehicle, get a job, and get an apartment. That way, when I go do my time, I come out, and then we kind of live happily ever after, and we go succeed, and we and we live that happy normal life that we see on TV that we wanted so bad, right? right? Mm-hmm. And we leave all this crime and gang and drug stuff behind right behind us yeah mm-hmm. and now I, now that that's that's gone so now here i am i got out and i have to do it alone so here i'm i'm and i can't even grieve because what i have to do is 
I got probation writing me. So I have all these obligations that I, ha I have to meet in a timely manner or otherwise I'm going back in. Mm -hmm. I have to get into a program. I have, a, I have to find a bed and call in every single day. The first thing I go do is pick up my daughter. I had to pick up my daughter because that's my responsibility, mm -hmm. my mother. So I pick her up first. We, um, I, I go to my mother-in-law's, you know, mm -hmm. I agree with her for two weeks and then I got to cut that short because I got a bed in a program and I got to go back to my responsibilities, put my grieving to the side, not really get through any of that right now and just go straight face to what the judge wants me to do, right? Right. Jump in that program, do that four month program with my daughter, mm -hmm. stay clean mm -hmm. and focus on my recovery because you can't really go to work in that program or focus on anything else. You're glued to your recovery and that's it, right? Right. What I noticed was that empathy and non-judgment that I received in that dorm where my foundation was built was not in this program yeah. that I was in. I didn't find that through the staff in this program I was in. So here I am, like, I want to go back. My mind's telling me, do something to get your ass back in jail. That's how twisted my mind was at, in that moment because right. of what was, I was faced with. I was like, look, there's holes in this system. Like these group homes I was in when I was younger, I was getting high with um, the, the male um, facilitators when I would see them on the streets two years later. Granted, they weren't in, I wasn't in the program anymore, but they remember my face. They knew I was one of their their youth, uh, their youth that youth. was in the, mm -hmm. in the group home, but still they would smoke a blunt with me after work and put their badge away. So, I mean, there's holes in the system that are, these, these, this system was, was to, to, was, is there to help create a space for the, for individuals like myself to better us, right? Right. Mm -hmm. Better our situations, right? To give us a chance, right? Mm -hmm. To make the outcome, the, the hand that we were dealt a little bit better, right? Mm -hmm. But if you look, looking back, they weren't. My mm -hmm. own experiences in these, um, institutions were not the best. Mm -hmm. So now that I know that, I have the ability to be that change. And that's what inspires me to go out here. And that's what inspired me to, to get into the field because I, I would be sitting in a program with my daughter and not have that empathy, not have that non-judgment. Right. Um, oh, your audio cut out for a minute there. <laughs> oh, sorry. No, it's okay. Yeah. Technology. It's already, it's already difficult enough. No worries. Yeah. So you say so, that's why you got into the the yeah. the field that you want is so you of can, helping people, yeah, right? Helping people, yeah. So so yeah. So um, I did that program with my daughter, but here's the catch: once your four months is up, then where do you transition to? Because I'm a transit. Ah, uh, so was it exactly once I got permit. out of jail? Okay. Once okay. I got out of jail, and I did what the courts wanted me to do to appease them, right? Stay clean. And do a program and not um, get into any crime, not get into um, any drugs. But what about housing? What yeah, about, yeah. you know, what kind of services could, where are we going to go? So after I got out of this program, my time was coming up and I was panicking. And I was going to the staff like, hey, let's lay down a game plan for me because I'm about to get graduate the program and I have, I need resources. Right. Did you get resources? So yeah, I ended up going to a homeless shelter for women with children in uh, San Diego. And um, it's a three month shelter. And if you're coming in with the background I have from homelessness, mm -hmm. going into the whole cycle of homelessness again, right? Right. And right. so you get three months to get your life together and find a spot. Three That's not realistic in San Diego. There's more need than there is services in San Diego for homelessness. That's, yeah. yeah. And so when my time start, you get a case manager, they, they present all this stuff to you and I'm a go-getter. I do the footwork, I get all my stuff. So I was out there pursuing and putting in the footwork, turning in the applications, 
Um, I was on every single wait list that existed. I was following up on top. They knew who my name, they knew my name because I was on top. Kept following up, yeah. They said, yeah. I'll call you back on Tuesday and didn't call me. I was on them on Wednesday. So, so <laughs> nice. I wasn't, I wasn't falling in between the cracks because of something. I was, the ball wasn't in my court. It was in the system's court. Part in the system's I still court. fell in between the cracks. So here we are again, right? I'm in this um, short-term homeless shelter for women with children with my daughter I enrolled in school the minute I got in there and I and I transitioned from that uh program I was in I I was in the homeless shelter still didn't have um housing situated I'm almost on my way out but I was at uh San Diego City College for sure I was still trying to pursue something greater than I knew even though I didn't have all the answers I didn't have my uh housing stable I knew I wanted to pursue something, you know, I, I knew I wanted more, a better, I wanted to improve my quality of life for my daughter and myself, mm-hmm. you know, I knew that much, so I didn't give up, and um, my time was up, so they put me in another shelter because we didn't get nowhere as far as uh, stable housing for me, mm-hmm. time frame. So I went to another um, homeless shelter. It was long-term. This time they give you a year to get your stuff together, which still, if, if you look at all the statistics, if you look at all the numbers, if you look at all the homeless, the homelessness in San Diego, the need is greater than the programs. Yeah. Right. And also there's a lot of, okay, so what I experienced, I went through this twice so I went through going away and going through these, going through a program, the same program, the rehab program with my daughter, and then going through the same short term. Quick pause. Is this going where I think it's going to go? If it is, I have to, I have to say trigger warnings. Huh? Is this going where I think it's going? I'm not sure. Oh, sorry. That uh, excuse the truth. I was like, if it, if it is, if it's any, if it's any experience that is potentially triggering, let me know now so I can do my trigger oh, warning entry. No, it's not. No. Okay, okay. What I was, what I was gonna say is, <laughs> sorry. This is my. This was my second round of doing this cycle of getting locked up and going through the same shenanigans of going through a program. Uh, okay, same, okay. So that's. Same, oh, we're told the, the first time. Yeah, I so we I went the second one already. Yeah, we are, but I just want to let you guys know that I did that this was the second time, but I had already done this same trip, same exact trip. When you get out, you got to climb the ladder again, mm-hmm. and they put you through the same resources because they're minimal. So right. I went through the same women's shelter, the same uh, program for drugs and alcohol with my daughter, the same short term program uh, right. for homelessness, and the same long term program for homelessness. Mm-hmm. And the whole outcome at the end, you're supposed to get some kind of program that puts you in an apartment. Well, when I went through this program uh, the second time, I was already in the field, right? Right. I was already working in the field. Mm -hmm. And because I was working in the field, I knowingly had connections of people who worked in these places already. Right. While I was on the phone with them asking for, hey, I'm supposed to check if there's a bed. Hey, I'm supposed to check and see if there's an an open unit, right, to transition to one of the programs. And every day you get told, no, there's still a waiting list or no, you're this number on the waiting list. Mm -hmm. I have people who actually work there and insiders who would tell me there's 32 units that are not being occupied. Mm-hmm. Why are they telling you there's a waiting list? So me being the person I am, having that kind of intel, mm-hmm. of course, I went around and I was able to get on top of that issue and address the issue. And that's why I got in soon the second time around. Had I not been working in the field, I would have been just like everyone else living in a hotel or about to get bounced out of a homeless shelter and right. in a in a in a hotel on some vouchers because there's nothing else to do to me because there's a, a waiting list supposedly yeah when in actuality happen. there's some kind of someone's not doing their job or there's some kind of error happening within the system again you see what i'm saying yeah that's yeah yeah so so it's there's frustrating on your end 
there's a lot of holes in the systems that I've experienced and I feel my heart breaks for the others who are still experiencing these situations mm-hmm. and having to um, be told about the waiting list or having to be told, you know, certain situations mm-hmm. that m- might be inaccurate and um, that might be managed correctly mm-hmm. within the systems. Question. You know? Yeah. Um, because like you said, it's it's a crack in the system, right? That waiting list. If, like, we're just going to throw hypothetical series. If you weren't in that same mindset when you were out the second time, right? Um, would you be going through that cycle again because of just that waiting list? Like, if you were denied, right? Well, see, that's what I'm getting at. Uh, when you're, when you're, let's say I wasn't in that mindset and I didn't have all all the support I had and I was still struggling like with addiction or something, mm-hmm. you're putting a burden that's way too heavy on a person who can't really, is incapable in that moment with, mm-hmm. with, their, with what they have in those moments. The burden shouldn't be placed on that individual, you know? Right. That's why we, we're supposed to have these systems in place to help ease the burden so that the people can get back on their feet right. in a timely right. manner. Mm-hmm. But if there's these holes in the system, then that's not. Yeah. Happen. If there's not quality management or quality um, people that are working in these places or, or stuff to that effect, then that's going to trickle down. And this is how we see it trickle down. And then these people go back out and um, or they're still living in places like their car, which is not healthy. No. Are you really going to be successful living in your car? Um, are you really going to stay sober living in your car? Um, so. so these are the questions uh, that I, I look at. And the POs are quick to let you be transit and live in your car and go to school. They'll say, okay, you just got to sign up as transit. Instead of like giving me the voucher, you know, and it was like, whoa, I was kind of confused. You know, and I've heard this story from other people, the same story about that so I'm glad that I came across certain um, probation officers my second time around who were more than happy to to give that extra help and, mm-hmm. and, and pick up that burden and be able like no I got a resource over here no I got this um, aligned over here for you and they seen that fire that I was about it and I was trying to do what I had to do to make a difference in my life and all I was looking for was that extra support from the community resources and they were able to help me through that. But, uh, you know, my heart breaks for the people who, who, who don't have that, who aren't getting that. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. But I'm glad that you did though. Right. So how did you, how did you finally get solidified into going to college again? So, yeah. So, um, I was living in the homeless shelter. I was going to city college. Um, I wanted to give up school to me was so foreign it was a different kind of institution it was not one that I was used to right um it was I felt like I stuck out like a sore thumb and (laughs) and I I met up with USU Urban Scholars Union which is um formerly incarcerated students who helped other formerly incarcerated students there on campus right and they had these support groups that I went to where we just met up once a week then I started, they started putting leadership, um, uh, leadership roles on my lap. And so mm-hmm. I started um, going and, and doing presentations and trying to educate the other students and the other professors and staff about formerly incarcerated students because there's a lot of stigma attached to it. And, um, and so we were just trying to break that through that stigma and also while I was doing all that education to help other people like see us for just people who are just trying mm-hmm. to improve our lives as well I was also getting a lot of healing myself like it was really helping me who had this little little voice like a mouse like I couldn't even look people in the eye I, no, I literally yeah it's a very yeah it's very foreign scary mm-hmm. From that to be able to talk in, in a room and have a, like a PowerPoint presentation and have like um, 100 people in front of me, all eyes on me and being able to just go with the flow and feel comfortable and be myself. I mean, that was a huge change and it was, and happened over time and it happened 
through other people believing in me mm-hmm. and putting stuff on my plate for me to step up and and bring myself to that point where I can um, manage those things. Because yeah, it was it was a it didn't happen overnight, but it was through. I know the change started happening inside, but it it continued when I got out because of me being able to have the courage. And I say courage because there's so much fear in reaching out for help. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. There's so much fear in reaching out for help. Like if it's a weakness, like you have to be ashamed of where you stand in that moment. Yeah. Or where society sees you for standing in that moment Mm -hmm. and where you're at, you know, Mm -hmm. compared to other, compared to your peers. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really important too, especially that like you're being very vulnerable by telling your story and you're opening up to a lot of like opening up a lot of trauma that I've personally never seen so much in an individual or like heard of it. Like these are like stories I would like hear on television or like in a documentary when someone had already passed or has lived long enough to write several books about it or something like that. It's like, that's a lot. You had a lot of fear. And like, I, I probably couldn't imagine standing in front of a room with other students or other peers who haven't lived the life that you lived and listening to your PowerPoint. I'd probably put myself in a panic. But that's, that's amazing, it was like- though. It was empowering for me because it was like, I'm educating people to change their mindset and, and break through whatever they might not even be aware of. Like most people might not even be aware of their own biases, you Mm -hmm. know, and it's all based on their own experiences or lack of, I feel like sometimes. So yeah. um, Yeah. Just having that courage and um, being able to, School, let me just say school and that higher education component was it for me. That That's what saved me. And that's what's still saving me to this day. That's what is so healing to my mind and my soul. I mean, I had coming from a, a bad or a poor educational experience, being a dropout and just, you know, from uh, high school and early on, and then having that fear now thinking it's going to be the same, but it's completely opposite. And even when things didn't go my way and I wanted to pull my hair out and I literally cried at the computer because I don't remember how to press certain things to make it do certain things. (laughs) The the internet struggle. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, or getting a bad grade or getting the runaround or it was so challenging for me. I'm not going to say school is easy. That's not what I'm, I'm here to say, but I am, I am a true believer that school can help people find themselves, heal themselves. And it's, it's more than educating themselves. It's so much more than just getting a higher education. Mm -hmm. Uh, For me, for me, it was healing because they make you write a lot of essays, a lot of papers. Yeah. And the first thing you hear about in therapy, oh, you should journal or or you should do this, (laughs) this handout, right? Do this paper, right? Mm -hmm. And someone who's not about it is resistance because there's a lot of, they got to face a lot of trauma when they do that on paper. But then you have it. But then when you have a professor telling you, hey, you're going to, you're going to fail if you don't do my papers. (laughs) Shit. You know, (laughs) I'm trying to to pass this. Otherwise it's for nothing. So then you start getting, and then when you, you're taking certain classes and you can all, you can relate almost any experience you've been in your papers. Yeah. And you, and you're like, put, you're releasing it. It's like, wow. Like I'm no longer in that hold, that stronghold, Mm -hmm. like it's released and then it's healing. And then I move on and I, and I get through it and it's amazing. It's amazing. My first year at City College was such an eye-opener. It was mm-hmm. such a transformative eye-opener for me. And I remember, I shared this with you before, I remember when I was trying to get in and get out because I had I barely had any hope for myself. I was like, I never freaking finish anything. I've right. always been a failure my whole life. I'm probably going to fail at this. So let me just hurry up, swoop on in and get on out with some kind of certificate 
and hurry up and get in the field so I can get out of poverty mm-hmm. and hurry up and make a buck and get out of this homeless shelter. Right. That's, yeah. where, that's where my mind was at. Right. Mm-hmm. Very short term, short term right. stuff. Get it done. Get dirty. Get fast. You know, like, yeah. Yeah. And move on out before I F this up. That's where I was. At. That's where my mind to- told me to do. Right. Then uh, I would hit the professors up right after class. And I'm like, hey, you know, hey, um, what do I have to do to hurry up and just get a certificate? Like, right. And how do I yeah, get it? Uh-huh. And I was so anxious with these questions. And they just look at me and be like, why don't you come to my office hours? I need to show you something. And they show me the screen and, hey, I have you in like three or four classes. And let me ask you a question. Why are you so quick to, to, leave. to yeah. limit yourself? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, because I'm poor and i need money bro <laughs> you know? that should be the title of this episode like because i'm poor and i need money bro and you know and oh, he no. you know and i and i'm talking to a professor who i you know he's told he's doing uh he's a drug and alcohol uh professor you professor, know yeah and he and you know knowing him now he's told me he has no lived experiences so i at that moment i felt like you know, I, he couldn't relate. So I was like, bro, look at you and look at me. I was like, I don't have the, I, I, you have I money. Wish, I don't I wish have I had the luxury. I wish I had the luxury, bro. I wish I had the luxury to stay in school for six to 10 years or whatever it takes to be in the position that you're in. But that's, that's my judgment at that moment. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't go in and tell him the details, but I was like, look, bro, I'm, it's not. No, I, yeah, I need to get in and get out and make that fifteen dollars an hour and struggle. But at least I'm I'm working now, so I'm a step up. I'm no longer low class or non-working. I'm working now. So to That's me, true. that was climbing up the ladder, and I'm doing better, improving my quality of life for me, my daughter. So he did. He luckily he stopped you. He didn't that. let me. He didn't Thank let God. me do that. <laughs> and a lot of other teachers were all in the same boat. They didn't let me do that. And so with USU and these professors just instilling all that, just changing my mind and, and, and telling me, you, you should go for your AA. And I'm like, what's an AA? And, you know, and. Oh, because by then you would have that? a GED. You would have a GED. Yeah. So they push you get an AA. Okay. Yeah. There we go. And, and, and they were just like, I, my whole thing was like, what is the commitment I have to make? Because I have probation. I have all these fees for court. I have all these obligations. You're a mother that too. Riding my back, mm-hmm. and I'm poor, and I have to, and you know, and I have to stay on top of all these leads just in case someone calls me to get in out of the, a homeless shelter. I have. You're always programming, so any kind of resource you get or they throw your way, you always have to program and meet certain. So the more you tap into, the more people are asking for you to tap into in their in their circle, have, yeah. Your time, so you, you you need to offer your time in that direction. So my time was tapped into to its highest level. So I was like, okay, if you want me to get my AA, tell me what this. What do you need from me? Because I got this, this, and this, and these people need this from me. These people need this from me. This homeless shelter needs me to do this and be here for this case management at this time. So you, my time is limited. Let me right. there's 40 hours in a week. If I'm trying to get my AA, what does that consist of? And they broke it down for me. I went beyond. I was doing like 80 hour weeks. I mean, I was going to sleep oh. and I was waking up at 435 o'clock, taking the trolley, riding my skateboard. I was commuting for three hours a day, four hours a day. So commuting took the majority of my time, but I use that to study and I have a disability. So I get distracted with movement and noise. So I had to have these big old headphones, no <laughs> blocking things that they have you wear from DSPS. Mm-hmm. And I didn't care. I felt so weird, you know, and I didn't care. I wore them, you know, on the trolley and, uh, you know, I, yeah. And, and I, it was hard for me to study. It was no, I super feel that. hard for me to study on while trans, you know, being being on the commuting commuting from one place to another. But I had to double dip and I had to look at my time wisely. But I managed to get my AA in AOD and um, sociology, and uh, I transferred to SDSU. 
and another yeah. another one and i see yeah and, I, and, and <laughs> it didn't stop it didn't stop like the trauma didn't stop i went through a lot of stuff in my personal life as i was trying to reach for the stars i started i still had some old behaviors so i would attach myself to unhealthy relationships so here i am getting my ass kicked in the closet by my dude bloody but then here i am i just got my first gig as a drug and alcohol counselor and i wasn't gonna mess that up so no, here no. wear the suit put the heels on wear the mask and go think i'm gonna try to teach these women in this facility how to stay clean and I'm going to run these groups and facilitate these groups and show them a new way of life when I didn't even get the proper help that I needed to get in, in that time period mm -hmm. on this mission of growth, right? right. And school and, mm -hmm. and a job for money mm -hmm. that I didn't even pay attention to my own self-care or how to really fix myself and tap into the therapy in the way that I needed to. Because you think about it, someone who came from so much trauma, all those 20 years, 30 years of living a certain way, all the abuse, mm -hmm. all, and as a female, all the sexual abuse you go through living on the streets in the lifestyle you live in right, and all right. the things you accept and all the narratives mm -hmm. you take in as that's who you are and this is what you deserve and this is how it's going to be. And this is, this is you, and this is what it's going to look like for the rest of your life. And trying to break out of that. So while I'm making moves, while I'm making moves in the spotlight on the outside, behind closed, behind closed doors, I was still struggling in certain areas of my growth. What, what, what took you out of that place after? So um, not to say that I'm not trying to address the issues. I just like, I know that it's something to sure to, uh, to talk about. Uh, so what was so this is like after after you started pursuing that AA, um, like you said you were you you were like you were setting up a show your your front self was showing that you were you had it all handled in the back seat you were all you were still suffering a little bit I say a little bit but it's a lot you suffered so and it's okay mm -hmm. you know it's okay. It, it it sometimes that just it happens but what i'm wondering is that what took you out of that spot to start learning to love yourself or to treat I, yourself as if you would treat to be honest you taught? i'm still i'm still learning to be honest mm -hmm. i'm still learning and it's still a journey and it's still a struggle every day and the one thing i don't do is the one thing i i won't do is give up hey Even when my mind tells me to give up and my mind tells me, this ain't for you. If this is as good as it gets, you might as well quit now. If I'm getting so much barriers and so much challenges coming my way, give it up, Amber. The school thing is not for you. Like, even though you try so hard, give it up. That's why I go through every single day, today, every single day. Oh. But I don't give up. And I don't give up because I know I have the support. I know I have that that auspicious courage. I that fire. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing this for nothing, you know. I got my daughter. She's watching. She's she's gonna grow up to be somebody. She's gonna see this one day, or she probably see I this mean, after. She's seen all the turmoil. She sees all the struggle. And my hope for her is that she gets to see the light at the end of the tunnel, you know? She gets to put the complete picture together. And um Aww. and that and and that's that's why I don't give up, is because I know every day it's gonna get a little bit better. And if I gave up, that means I did this for nothing for me and her. That means I did this for nothing. That means the people that helped me and believed in me before I believed in myself, that means they did this for nothing. Like, we didn't just do this for nothing. This whole two, three, four years, this wasn't for nothing. This was because not only is it going to help me out, it's going to help my daughter out. But I know there's other people that are going through the same shit. 
the yeah. same shit. And if, if all of them are struggling to a point where it's not their time to shine yet and they can't get out of it yet, whatever that is they're going through, if one of them can relate to it and get that, that fire burning and start the moves in the right direction, that seeds planted like it was for me in that dorm where I was living when I was locked up, then A, then it wasn't, it's not for nothing. You know what I mean? And that's mm. my way of thinking today. So the struggle's still real and the struggle's still there and the challenges are still there. It's just at a lower level of struggle. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? And I learned to deal with it and respond to my struggles in a different way now. Mm -hmm. And I'm a little bit more equipped and I got just a, enough support to where I don't give up and people don't let me give up. They won't let me. And I, yeah. I got enough, enough help and enough throughout this journey to know what to do in these situations and and I can I know I can call out for help and I know that there's help out there and I know not to believe in in that thinking that negative thought system you know that I'm so almost automatic and wired to believe in like it takes time to undo all those years so you guys are catching me right in the beginning stages of it all no, I don't know how this all fell in my lap. Beginning <laughs> no. stages. And I'm being blunt and honest with you guys, but there's such good and 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 um I'm shining, you know, I feel it, you know. <laughs> no, like no, I think that's great. And because I, I'm I'm keeping an eye on the time too, so you have time to get ready for your next thing yeah. is that um sean like now you can pop in well i was i, I thought you were gonna add commentary i'm too. so sorry no 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 no. no 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 don't be sorry honestly don't be sorry like the the story that you have because we've like i've already talked to sean before so this is kind of like kind of like uh making sure the the air is comfortable having some like a familiar face that we've already seen like we've all met we've all talked already so i think i think for me i i feel a little bit just more nervous it's like oh my gosh like all right, don't flub it up. Don't flub it up. <laughs> like for me, because it's like, okay, how like how will I continue? It's like, but Sean's here, like I said, that extra support having sometimes like a familiar face and who believes in you, who you like trust in your message is really nice. And it helps make like the anxiety go huh, a little like this. So that's that's why I think it's great. And the the big highlight of the story is safety, yeah. short like short like safety, short-term needs and education and sean i know you're a big hell-bent on education no, sure but like yeah i have plenty of commentary but it was that the flow is important as well you know mm -hmm. amber has a beautiful story but some of the things that came to my mind about amber's story was like that movie a beautiful mind if you ever seen it mm -hmm. it's like a tragic story but it's a beautiful story the way it's crafted so all the pain that amber went through is technically she's a genius so it's like it's crafted this beautiful story that everybody can experience. So what mm -hmm. she's got to experience is going to be unique to her, but it's her, it's a superpower actually at the end of the day. Mm -hmm. And also pressure makes diamonds. So even though she's <laughs> at the beginning of this yeah. journey, pressure is like crafting her into this mm -hmm. brilliant individual human being. So, I mean, I can see Amber doing anything and nothing's out of, out of the limits of somebody with her experience from accomplishing. So she could, she could attain any level that anybody else could here on this earth. And she has the extra gift of getting that pressure to make her into a diamond. Mm -hmm. So that's the commentary I wanted to share because her, her story is so powerful. Mm -hmm. but also the ebb and flow, her sharing in her own words. And yeah. your commentary is somebody who hasn't experienced it yourself. And you're relying on us to communicate the message of what's going on in our broader society because there's more Ambers out there and there's definitely more Sean's out there. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's just a, like I said, it's a, it's a foreign, it's a foreign environment for me. I wouldn't not know. So like coming, like coming, like I said, coming into this with no experience of what it's like either like on the streets or that level of poverty that, you know, not coming, I hope nobody would go through or at least the people that I care about as well. But there's the, the reality of the fact is that there are people there and it could be someone that I care about. So not having yeah. that knowledge or that dialogue beforehand or yeah. having someone who already knows who could guide me in is just like, oh, crap. I'm going to sound like the biggest ignorant prick alive. <laughs> and it, it's, it's sad. And, and a lot of our societal issues overlap to the nicer neighborhoods. So say, for instance, 
you're in North County and it's it's considered more high income in, in right. um, Del Mar, La Jolla. And if you go south to the South Bay and you go to East Lake, that part of Tula Vista is considered affluent. Yeah. But sadly, we just lost two teenagers to gun violence down there. So basically our societal issues overlap. And this is at one of those local safe parks. I literally only play basketball at East Lake Parks because it's the only place I feel like there's not going to be a drive-by or I'm not going to have a conflict and get shot. But uh, honestly, for all of us, we're all in this together. So for individuals that haven't lived, that have the lived experience, you're still our kin, you're still our relatives, we're all community. We have community stands for common unity. We have so much in common. We all can be one another and in each other's shoes. Amber was sharing like, you know, she wished she could like, when she was looking at her professor with his income and she wants to spend, she wished she could do like eight years straight in college and especially to be able to do that as a youth. Imagine if she was in a supportive household that paid for her college and encouraged Mm -hmm. her, you know, she would have been through Harvard. She would have been through all these Ivy League schools because she has the mind and ability, Mm -hmm. but society and the the structure of society and our influences weren't advocating that for us. That doesn't mean we're any different. Like Mm -hmm. I could legit be be co-hosting the podcast and you could be coming out of Chow Chella, Jen. (laughs) No, honestly. Your transition (laughs) going to school like that's like that's part of the thing that's part of the thing that i want our viewers to think about it's like also just take a look at your own lives and just realize what privileges you have like either privilege of staying in a household with like family that cares for me it's not perfect but they cared enough about me to the point that i don't like hate myself or to the point that i'm not setting up myself for failure and that i want to pursue greater things for myself so I could be more like my parents in a positive way. It's not like a competition. It's like, I want to be better than like a deadbeat dad or a deadbeat mom. But that's not the same. Like that reality is, like you said, that's not the same for Amber, or for you or for anybody else who had a like a harder time in life. So it's just like, hear, like hearing those stories just makes me more open to the idea of like, people's lives are different and seeing like Sean you like you're doing amazing things you wrote books you're speaking in seminars you're talking to me same thing with Amber she's reaching out talking to women to change their mindset being a super mom getting that getting that degree and you know like I said pressure makes like pressure makes diamonds true we're just like you said you're just getting to the the start of it for you Amber and I'm just like well, I'm glad I caught you in the beginning because now I can, I can only see where this could go from here. Honestly, Sean, you just gotten out recently and you've made some really significant strides since then. And then, like, you're always trying to, like, keep up with me, contact me, make sure that we stay connected. And I think that's what I love about you, especially the both of you. The tenacity to keep moving forward so you don't fall back or to put yourself in that in that same dark place again so i think that's amazing it's just like when you're <laughs> i try not to cry like honestly these, these stories are very beautiful crying is okay well, one thing i do <laughs> want to mention one thing i do want to mention is when i when i want to highlight when when we take steps forward and we're like on this path of moving forward we're gonna take a couple steps back right that's fact yeah and and we get so strung out on the fact that we fail. Like if failure yeah. is, not, is not part of growth, but it's how we, I honestly, someone told me this and I honestly believe it's how I respond to failure. Like failure is a way to grow from. Like if I get back up every time I get dropped, every time I drop, every time I take a couple steps backwards or do the same thing I used to do, but then I something kicks in and, and I move a little, push a little harder. Yeah. That's so true. like, I, I know, I know I'm not making all my steps forward because I'm taking a couple back, but I know I'm not staying back though mm-hmm. because there's too much fire in me. There's too much drive <laughs> yeah. to do that. Like there's too much lived experience to want to stay there. Mm-hmm. I've been through way mm-hmm. too much to be okay with that. When I get a little bit of taste in yeah. my mouth of yeah. knowing where I can go right, and what right. it what the people I can surround myself with. Mm-hmm. And so the change- I've seen, yeah, no, I've seen a stages of change chart in my academic career while going to school, while I was incarcerated. 
And in our stages of change, basically what you're describing, you get to a certain point, like imagine it as a circle in the graph. So you're halfway around that circle to changing a behavior or changing a pattern. And when you fall back, which is fine, you're not always falling back to the beginning of that yeah. change. Mm -hmm. You might fall a quarter of the way back, but you've made so much progress <clears throat> that you, you're eventually going to get to the end of that cycle mm -hmm. of change. And I always explain it to people is you want to have a strong foundation. So one of my main goals, yeah, I mean, I had a, a poor foundation when I was incarcerated and I found myself with nobody. I mean, I lost everything. So I went from what I thought I had to zero real quick. But with a strong foundation, you don't lose as much. You don't have to fall as far backwards. I never tell myself I can't be incarcerated again for the simple fact that a lot of people are incarcerated for a lot of different reasons. It's possible to get incarcerated driving down the freeway and something happens that's an accident. Accidents happen and sometimes you're prosecuted for them in our society. But um, so if I ever found myself incarcerated again, <clears throat> I would like to think I've made enough change to have a, a stronger foundation while I'm in there. And even if I'm lucky enough to be released again, whether that's financial security, um, relationships I've crafted, mm -hmm. anything, you know, you just want to have a strong foundation. So that's part of the cycles of change. She's building so much, Amber is, that as you grow, Amber, and you continue to progress, mm -hmm. you should never fall back to ground zero because mm -hmm. you've come so far. And it's just a beautiful thing and a beautiful lesson for others. Yeah, especially for others. For yeah. or, and a super mom. Like, I've never touched on the super mom yeah. part. I'm a huge super mom fan, considering I was raised by a single mom who's done so much. Like, she supported me through a life prison sentence. So she was a superhero. So I, I really respect super mom. She was my pops, too. Gave me great values. I run with mm -hmm. that. So. I, yeah, got to, especially for, like, Women's Month, too. It's just yeah. credible, empowering story and then my my last thing about um touching base before we have to let amber go is that you know how you said that 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 graph little circle um even if you take that step, step backs even small steps forward or those small victories that you could take take them like take those small victories because sometimes that's like I said that fire that's like what you need to start pulling yourself back toward that path even if you took a couple steps back or a lot of steps back Oh, right it's take those little victories the, now i acknowledge them as before i would not even i would discredit them wouldn't even i would always stay focused on all the negative mm -hmm. and feed that negative energy by focusing on the all the negative that happens in my life mm -hmm. once i credit and give credit when credit is due it's not like i'm pumping myself up like i'm better than mm -hmm. i'm just acknowledging the growth and the change mindset and, and it that's helps. The first motivate. step, yeah. Yeah. The first step, acknowledging. Because yeah. if you don't acknowledge it, then how can you like move forward, or like how can mm -hmm. you hope to get better if you don't acknowledge like just some facts of life or the the facts of the mistakes that have happened or anything like that? Right. Um, that's just like a really big delusion. And when the next thing, when the next bad thing or the next bad moment hits, then the drop is gonna feel worse. Right. At least in my experience, like if I don't acknowledge like some of the, the faults that I have, then the self-loathing kicks in and then I feel more low and I can't do that anymore either. So, right. but well, and always I notice a strength that I, I've noticed is being able to self-advocate. No one is going to, I noticed through all the, the supporters I have and, you know, people have, have went above and beyond those people that have went above and beyond their their scope of practice whatever they're they're there to do whether it was a deputy whether it was a therapist but they just said hey come here amber and they said one-liners or whatever it was to make me walk away like my teacher or whoever it was and i was like oh okay and i get i get a little strength or a, a little bit of love out of that and i feel a little bit stronger but I feel like whenever I felt like giving up or whenever I felt like I was falling in between the cracks and no mm -hmm. one can hear my voice, mm -hmm. it was like, I didn't stop self-advocating. Like I always advocated for myself when I felt like I was going to drown, you know, or, mm -hmm. you know, and I, I feel like that's important for people to, once they find their voice, never to let, let it sleep again, you know, because mm -hmm. you, you will be heard and you will be supported. There's so much resources and so much people who want to support and USU and Project Rebound have been there for me. And, and so has who I once considered was my enemies, which was 
you know, where my foundation was built, you know, which was when I was inside. So it's, it's crazy how my mind has grown in that, in that sense too. And I just want to say thank you to you guys before I take off. All right. No, that's perfectly fine. So I think it'd be fine for us to send it off here. So uh, I think that was your soapbox, your last standing bit. So Sean, anything you'd like to add before we send Amber off and then we'll call it a day? Um, About my, uh, no, just basically, um, I guess I'll reach out, Amber, and connect on different projects for Project Rebound. I don't know how much time you have left there, but as far as our podcast, did you want me to share more of my story? Because I would take longer, or did you want to just... We could do it for another day, and that's okay. So it could just be all about you, since I've gotten to know you. No, no worries. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And And then... It's just all of my experiences... I could relate so much to Amber. I mean, I got, I found my change in juvenile hall. So my change occurred there. And yeah, I'd love to share that eventually. Okay. And we'll make that happen. So that education, compassion, and self-advocate, self-advocate for yourself when you need it. So I'm proud to have these two lovely individuals here. And to our next collaboration, I would love to get to know you more too, Amber, when you have more time. I know that you're a busy, busy woman and go get those, go get those diamonds, girl. I'm proud of you. <laughs> all right, all right, you guys. Bye, Amber. Right, so bye. You guys have a good one. You too. All right. You too. And in three, two, one.